great to be here. Good to see you out this evening. <clears throat> Make sure my mic and everything's on. Good to go. Theme of our message tonight, why are there unhappy Christians? Now, again, I know you could look at this many different ways. You could look at a lot of different points um, other than what I'm going to be looking at, but I, I think uh, these are valid, uh, good, get us thinking on this. And again, maybe thinking of as we're going through these things or afterwards, uh, maybe you're unhappy and I didn't hit what you're unhappy about. Think about that and look at the scriptures and try to take care of that issue in your life. <clears throat> Theme again is why are there unhappy Christians? Our text is James chapter 3, 13 through 16. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, and I believe that's what I'll be using throughout the sermon tonight. <clears throat> James 3, starting there in verse 13. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthy, natural, demonic. For where jealousies and selfish ambitions exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. Isn't it awful that we live in a society where people rarely consider the source of their help and their, their support? People in general seldom even take the time to say thank you or just communicate without asking for something. We live in a society where many people are just takers. They honestly believe it's their right to have what everyone else has without even working for it. Well, in the same respect, we must ask ourselves today, how do we treat God? Do we come before his presence with praise and thanksgiving for the wonderful blessings of life that he has granted to us? Or do we just keep asking God for blessings and help and answers to our prayers, yet we don't come to the assembly of the saints on a regular basis. We don't tithe. Maybe we gossip. Or we run the church that Christ died for down. Maybe we nitpick, slander the evangelists, elders, teachers, song leaders, because they don't do things the way that we would want them to be done. Well, are you truly happy being a Christian and if not, why not? Let's notice what we can about some Christians that are unhappy and see what we can learn from God's word to fix it. I got <clears throat> 37 points, so we, we ought to be good. We ought to be here till about 9.30. Okay, Laura will make you some hot chocolate in the back if you get thirsty. Teasing. I'll try to move through this. Point one, some Christians, why are they unhappy? Because they stop at, at baptism. They think, okay, 
I'm baptized, I'm good to go. You see, they don't think there's anything else that they need to do. I believe, I'm baptized, I can just sit here in the pew. So then these people, they're not completely converted. Take note that I said that these people were not completely converted. Conversion includes far more than being immersed into Christ. In Vine's expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words, it says that to be converted means to do a turnabout or to turn around. The word implies turning from and turning to. So when I was in the Navy and in the military, you would stand there and they'd say, about face, and we would spin around and we'd be going, looking this way. That's a 180 degree turn. I didn't do a 360 and completely spin around. I turned about. Okay. Paul, when he was talking to the Thessalonians, he said that the Thessalonians had done a 180 degree turn. They were converted from idols to turning to God in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. They changed from idols, changed from things of this world that we would have as a higher priority than, than God. Some who are baptized have not changed from the old person to a new person. Yes, I know that a process is taking place in their life, but a repentant person wanting to be immersed should be taught that they must be converted. There needs to be that about face in their life, a turning from the world and a turning to, to God. The old man is going to die in the water grave of baptism. Then they are to come up out of that water and be a new creature in Christ. Before they went into the water, they were sinning. They were worldly, doing the things of the world. Now they've repented of those things, and now they're coming up out of that watery grave as a new creature, seeking after the kingdom and his righteousness and things which are good. <clears throat> they must, again, realize that they are to be different than they were before Becoming a Christian, they must start changing their behavior from doing what they want to do to now doing what God tells them to do according to his word. A repentant sinner who is immersed into Christ then must truly be born again to be converted. If new converts to Christ are still trying to hold on to their old ways, or their sinful ways, they're going to be the most mixed up, miserable people in the world. They're not going to be happy. We must make changes in our life after baptism before we're going to truly be happy in the Lord. Well, some hold grudges after they are baptized or supposedly converted. How can we do that? How can we hold grudges? We need to get rid of that stuff. You see, they're staying angry with people. But Paul told the church there 
of Ephesus in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted. Can you be kind and tenderhearted if you're holding grudges and you're angry and you're mad at people? It says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. For this reason, I heard somebody say, happiness is having a bad memory. I think I must be happy (laughs) because I'll leave my office and walk down the hall to tell Jan something. And I'll say, Jan, when I left my office, I was going to tell you something, but I I forgot already. And maybe that's happening to some of you. You know, I guess there are some advantages of being forgetful. At least you can hold grudges, right? If you can't remember something. The only way one will find happiness is to remove the bad feelings that they have for other people. Remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Forgiveness is a must. Not only to be happy, but also to get to heaven. You see, we got to get rid of those grudges and things that we're holding against people and maybe saying or talking about about them. Well, some are jealous of others after they've been baptized and supposedly converted. Again, how can you do that? Here's a couple examples. How about King Saul of Israel? He could not find happiness. Why? Because he coveted David's popularity. He was so mad at him. And his jealousy grew into hatred. And then even into the uh, attempting to kill David. He was chasing him all over the land. David didn't do anything wrong. He went on every mission that Saul told him. He was a commander of the army. He led. God was giving him victories and helping the kingdom. But Saul was was jealous because he had killed his thousands, but David, the people said, killed his ten thousands. You know, people get mad and jealous of people today. They try to kill them. What? Well, just use that expression. What do they do? They try to ruin their reputation. They slander them. They try to find faults with them. Sometimes they even try to get them fired maybe from their jobs. Why? Because they're jealous of them. Another good example of someone being jealous is the prodigal son's older brother who could not be happy about his brother's return. And why? Because of his jealousy and his resentment towards him. Yeah, he did get part of the money. He went and wasted it. But he learned a lesson and he came home and he repented. And now... What was lost is found, and he's back home. But his brother's like, "Eh, dancing and music, and you never gave me a fat cow to go ahead and have a party with my friends. Yes, he was holding a grudge. He wasn't happy. He was jealous of his brother and what his dad had given him. 
You know, some Christians, they harbor selfishness after they're baptized, after they supposedly become a Christian and supposedly are converted. We need to recognize others and their needs instead of being selfish and just thinking about our own needs. Maybe you've heard this expression before. God first, he ought to be our first priority. Others should be second, and then us. What's that mean? We ought to be last in line. Everybody else should be before us, and ultimately God should be number one. We must be concerned about others and their needs in order to even enjoy life itself. Remember, when you make other people happy, you can't help but be happy yourself. If you give them a gift or do something nice for them or send them a card or a note or give them a word of encouragement, it makes you feel good. Instead of us walking around with frowns, right, we should walk around with smiles and be happy of, of what has been granted to us and given to us to our, from our Lord and God. And we ought to try to do those same things to others. You know, happiness is a decision. It's a positive attitude that we want to have. Luke, when he was writing there in Acts 20, verse 35, the, the second part of that verse says this, remember the words of Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Hmm. So don't be selfish and harbor selfish feelings, but give, help people. Does not the Bible teach us that we must learn to rejoice when others rejoice. Romans 12, 15 says rejoice with those who rejoice. And then the other side of the coin, it says weep with those who weep. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it. And if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Every time others are happy, especially when their happiness is truly a holy happiness over good things, we should rejoice as well. You know, I want to thank the church for people who re respond and come at the, the invitation or become a Christian like Sarah did after church today and Covey was able to baptize her, uh, Lindsay's friend. What's, what's Sarah's last name? Al Brockett? Brockett. Okay, Sarah Brockett. I couldn't remember her name. But uh, again, next week we'll probably have her stand and embarrass her and all that. But that's great. And you know what's better, even better? Why would you want to hold a grudge or be unhappy? It's nice when people stay and watch and the line forms. And as she's coming out, everybody's going and rejoicing with her and giving her a hug and a word of encouragement and telling her how proud they are of her and whatnot. That's a great thing. That's how we're supposed to be as Christians, rejoicing with them 
in that time. And some do not have their hearts in Christ or his church after they've been baptized, after they've supposedly become a Christian and supposedly been converted. If your heart's not right with Christ, then anything you give and do for Christ and his church will be done only out of obligation and is often done without a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, as far as our offerings are concerned, we ought to give. Not that it's an obligation, but we want to give because God has given us so much. I heard a, the statement before. Many Christians have just enough religion to make them miserable. Not enough to make them happy. Enough to bug them. But not enough to bless them. You know, that's sad, isn't it? When you sit and think about what I just read there, that's sad. If we only think we have enough religion, well, then we ought to get in the Bible more and learn more about Christianity and what's right and wrong and what pleases God and what he expects of us. And again, the problem is when these people's hearts are not in Christ and his church fully, whatever they are asked or expected to do something, they resent it especially if it has something to do with their money or with their time. These people, <clears throat> these are the people who wonder when they should quit giving or when they can stop coming. I think someone said it best when they said, we can quit giving to God when he quits giving to us. God's always given to us. He lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. He lets his sun shine on us. Doesn't matter who we are. Some are even unhappy when they have changed their way of life and they're still looking at all those things that they think they're missing out on. Instead of counting their blessings and enjoying what they have, they're looking back. What's Jesus say about that in Luke 9, 62? Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If we're looking back at those things, stop. Why? Because they're going to make you unhappy. We want to be happy. Look ahead. Look to heaven. Look to the future. March forward. Our second point. See, I only had a dozen subpoints there, right? <clears throat> we have a few here for this one. <clears throat> point two. How can a Christian be truly happy? We must realize that happiness is not something you seek. But instead, it is a byproduct from seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
What does that verse say there in Matthew 6.33? As preachers, we always like to hit the first part, but what's it say? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then what? What's going to make you happy? All these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things? Could be these necessities of life, right? Shelter and clothes and food. But let's go a little bit, step into the spiritual realm. What about all those things? The hope, the promises, the blessings of being a Christian. You think that can make you truly happy? Not only having the basic necessities, but now having all these wonderful spiritual things. Secondly, by submitting to God's will. Well, how can we submit to God's will? Anybody get a letter from him today and tell us? No, but we did get a letter, didn't we? We can know God's will, can't we? Proverbs 16, 20 says, He who gives attention to the word shall find good. And happy is he who trusts in the Lord. You see, we need to give attention to his word and we can be happy trusting in God. Our hope and trust must be in Christ for nothing else in this world can truly satisfy like him. Nothing else can truly make us happy but Jesus Psalms 144, 15 says, How happy are the people who are so situated. How happy are the people whose God is the Lord. How in this world do people expect to be happy in heaven if they're not happy here on earth right now? We have probably all heard the phrase, Well, I can't go there. Or do that because I have to go to the church service. Or I got to go to the work day. Or I got to be involved in the evangelistic activity like going to the parade or the, the community days or whatever else we may come up with that we may be trying to advance the kingdom. People may say, that's not what I meant. Well, if that's not what they meant then why did they say it? We need to remember Christianity is not forced upon us. So if we choose to serve God, then serve him with a smile and understand that it's a privilege to serve him. How blessed we are to, to be able to serve God. And that ought to make us happy as Christians. How can a Christian be truly happy? By living for Christ. Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. I can't say his name. Herbert Hoover. Hoover. Whew. Did you get that, Dave? <clears throat> Herbert Hoover. That Hoover guy over there. Said, possibly the greatest source of human happiness is in personal achievements. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at what he said. I'm laughing at me. I'll, I'll say it again. Herbert Hoover said, 
Possibly the greatest source of human happiness is personal achievements. When you've accomplished something or met your goals or got somewhere, man, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? It makes you happy. Everyone is made happy when they feel that they have really achieved and have run the race and therefore have won. Paul speaks of this to Timothy at the end of his life. In 2 Timothy 4, 5-8, it says, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge. Will we will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his peering. Timothy, do these things, because I've done these things, and now I'm ready to go. And he's going to give me a reward. And if you love his appearing and you're doing these things, then you're going to get this reward too. Man, that can make you happy. Even though he knew they were going to be executing him, he could pen such words. Yes, when people set and conquer their personal goals, they're made happy. But just remember that you will not accomplish anything unless you work hard. And you're willing to pay the price to accomplish those things. Even so, when serving Christ, it will not be easy. And there will be many battle scars. But when you win the race, it'll be worth it all in the end. 1 Peter 4.16 says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in that name... Let him glorify God. So to be happy in Christ, we need to get out there and do something for him. Even if we're persecuted or suffer for doing what is right and what is good. Realize people who are not happy, they will try to take your happiness away. <laughs> Seeing a lot of head shake here with that. Isn't that a shame? Why? If you're happy and you're working and you're serving and you're trying to do the best that you can with the gifts and abilities that you have, there's always somebody over there trying to take you out at the knees. It's a shame. They will persecute you, slander you, insult you, but don't let them bring you down. Remember who you are and where you're going. And to be happy as a Christian also is having an attitude of contentment. I had uh, a lot here in this point, but Phil just talked about contentment last week at the revival. So I'm just going to hit some of the conclusion type uh, remarks. For it's not what is around us, but it's what is in us. Not what we have, but what we are that makes us really happy. Many people have been sold an idea that 
if they possess things, fancy gadgets, modern conveniences of this world, they'll have great happiness. And for this reason, many set out to work and buy their way to their happiness. And thus they swap God for gadgets. Another thing we must realize is that happiness is not a station that we arrive at, but it's the manner of traveling. You get that? We're not just going to someday arrive and say, I'm here, I'm at the happiness station. No, happiness is traveling. It's where you keep advancing and you keep trudging forward, even though bad things may happen. And you may have sicknesses and issues or problems and so forth in your life and persecution and so forth. But you're still marching. It seems to be such a mystery to so many, but it is so true and so evident today that one can be happy now. And you know what? In just a matter of minutes, they can be miserable. (laughs) Isn't that true? Hasn't that happened to you? You've been happy and things have been going good and then something stupid happens. It takes you out at the knees and then you're miserable. Then you're unhappy. Lindsay knows what I'm saying. (laughs) Vivian too. Yeah, it, it, it happens. But when that happens, what should we do? First off, we ought to pray. God, man, this thing just happened. Please help me to be able to deal with it. Help me to leave this burden and this care and this concern with you. And help me to do what I can to alleviate it and to fix it. And help me to just keep traveling and keep doing what's right and to get a smile back on my face. And I think that is so important that we do that. You see, true lasting happiness is found in the Lord and we need to have trust and faith in him and he'll help us in conclusion yes happiness in this world is great for Christians must realize just what they have and what is yet to come but the greatest happiness that we can have is eternal happiness Happiness that's not of this world, but of the celestial realm where God is. Romans 4, 7 and 8 says this, Happy are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Happy is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. It's a wonderful verse. I need to ask you a very important question this evening. Are your sins covered by the blood of Jesus? If not, why not today? Be obedient to the gospel. Be washed in the watery grave. 
where you will be able to meet the blood of Jesus and have your sins washed away. A couple passages that teach that. Revelation 1, 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and washed us from our sins by his blood. Well, Paul tells us just about the same thing. Luke penning it. The Apostle Paul tells us when he had his sins washed away in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And now why do you delay? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. So when do you have your sins washed away? At baptism. Have your sins washed. He can wash us from our sins by his blood. Be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. If you want the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins so that you can truly be happy. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who came and took on the sins of the world and died on the cross and rose again in three days and then many convincing proofs for 40 days proved that he was alive and then he ascended into heaven where there he was coronated and glorified as great King of kings and Lord of lords. Or are you willing to confess Christ? Confess that he is the anointed one, the Messiah. Are you willing to do that at the time of your baptism, but then every day of your life after that? Will you repent and be immersed in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as Acts 2, 38 tells us? And that's the beginning when you become a Christian. Then we need to keep moving forward and be dedicated and committed and be faithful unto the end to receive the crown of life according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the fourth part of that verse. If you're here tonight and you need to make that decision, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. Seek ye first. We're just going to do one verse. And... Um, our men are coming up and getting ready. <clears throat> but if you're here, the water is warm, robes are ready, we got towels back there, everything that you need. I, we can take your confession and have you immersed into Christ in a matter of minutes if you need to do that this evening.